Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 25 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a Rust Belt recruiting production. I am your host, Paul O'Connor. And on this episode, we are joined by Todd Lebo, president and CEO of Majestic Steel. Todd, happy Friday. Good morning. Thanks for coming on the pod. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for having me. So let's jump in, man. Uh, Founder is a title that you really seem to gravitate to. Uh, Tell us about the four companies that you have founded. Uh, Sozo Workwear, Felix, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Bond Street Group, and Kind of One Concepts to date. Um, Tell us about those four. And then how did, you know, growing up in an entrepreneurial home influence your desire to follow a similar path? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I mean, it really happened organically. Um, I mean, I went to school for business management and entrepreneurism. And so I had always had uh, entrepreneurial thoughts in terms of what I wanted to do. And then growing up in a family business, always been around business. Um, And so really, when you think about those four, I mean, Felix was the first one. And so being in the steel industry, realizing that there wasn't a significant investment in technology in the space compared to other spaces saw an opportunity to launch a platform uh, that was incubated actually at Majestic Steel, but spun off and, and now it operates completely independent uh, of Majestic as its own platform business. Um, so in that situation, you know, Felix is, is really focusing how do you solve for the steel and industrial supply chain through a tech platform. Um, and then going on with the other businesses, I mean, kind of one concepts, always had a passion for hospitality, restaurants, food and beverage, when I came back to Cleveland, um, always thought there was an opportunity to do things here in the city uh, where there is gaps. I mean, there's a lot of great restaurants in Cleveland, but felt like there's an opportunity to, you know, do some things in Cleveland that maybe hadn't been done before. Um, so really just started to uh, bring talent around me. I mean, it's really about the people that you, you put around you to execute. And so working with some you know great chefs and, and, and operators in that space uh, really then um, resulted in, in opening our first restaurant uh, here just in February of, of 2021. And then um, Bond Street um, was, was really about, okay, uh, another opportunity to really do something unique in Cleveland in terms of real estate development um, and, and really have an impact on the city in terms of, you know, when you think about real estate development, um, that's really what brings uh, opportunity and energy um, to a city. And, and so, you know, that's really where that stemmed from a passion for, for really kind of helping to rebuild and modernize Cleveland. And then lastly, um, Sozo really came to be during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, I mean, no one kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, there was a need for masks. And so at Majestic, we had the ability to manufacture them. So we brought in some talent and, and made our own masks and then said, you know what, why not? Uh, the work environment's evolving uh, things are changing and, and what people are wearing on a daily basis changing. It's becoming much more kind of casual um, in the workspace, but then also just generally speaking. And so the team really then just started to say, okay, well, let's start to, to make, you know, hoodies and, and other um, fashion items that 
fit within this kind of modern um, way that we we live and work and, and play today. Man, I got to assume uh, being a founder of four companies and not that's not even your full-time day job that you are a guy that lives by his calendar. I mean, is, do you have time during the day to grab lunch? I mean, how many coffees are you drinking a day? Yeah, I mean, still only drinking one coffee a day, sometimes two. Uh, you know, I, I, I try not to overconsume, uh, at least in coffee, um, and, and try to use it as my starter log, not necessarily uh, my, my fire that blazes all day. Um, but the, the schedule is definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, adhering to my calendar on a regular basis, which is always a, a moving target. I try to, you know, plan ahead, but not too far ahead. So, um, typically, you know, looking two weeks out, I think just like in business, you have to be nimble and agile, but at the same time, um, to keep myself hands-on and involved in all those things, um, you have to be able to, uh, you know, navigate and, and, and juggle it all. The, the biggest thing though, is putting the right people in place. If you put the right people in place and um, you provide them direction and autonomy, um, but give them the tools to be successful, uh, that's, that's what's most important. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, uh, right feet in the right seats is a quote that I always love um, and it's huge. Um, okay, so you joined Majestic Steel almost 14 years ago. Um, did you always know you wanted to be a leader in your family's business legacy? Um, so that's question one. And then two, you know, what has it been like overseeing a second generation family business? Yeah, actually it was quite the opposite growing up. I always appreciated the family business, appreciated the steel industry and, and what my, my dad had built. And I grew up, you know, in it and around it. Um, but when I left Cleveland, I really wanted to go do my own thing. I actually didn't think I was going to come back to Cleveland. and didn't think I was going to come back to the steel industry, but I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, you got to play the hand you're dealt. And um, I had an opportunity where we had a business and I could come into something where most don't. And so I changed my mindset towards uh, our family business in the steel industry in Cleveland and saw it all as opportunity and a challenge that I wanted to embrace. And so, you know, the steel industry obviously has a lot of history um, and, and is an old industry and been around for a while. So I saw it as an opportunity to really take a unique approach towards the industry and also how, um, you know, businesses were uh, evolving. And when you look at the world today and the multi-generational workforce and, and the way that um, people do things today versus, you know, 20 years ago, it's so different, but there's still a lot of traditional aspects to the steel industry. So I saw it as an opportunity to come into a family business and, and innovate and, and not look at it as um, it wasn't something that I had started, but it was something that I can um, transform and, and build off of the foundation and core uh, that was already intact. So, you know, that's, that's really um, how I approached the, the opportunity. Love it. Um, good transition for our listeners. Give us a rundown on the current state of manufacturing and more specifically the steel industry. Yeah, it's been an interesting last 18 months, obviously, um, since the pandemic that, uh, a lot of things have been turned upside down. I mean, you know, when have we ever had to, um, shift as quickly as we had to shift, uh, but ironically demand for manufacturing has, you know, been very strong. Um, there's a resurgence of manufacturing that's going on uh, today. And so 
from the demand perspective, it's very strong from the steel industry side of it. The industry has changed rapidly. Um, there's been a ton of consolidation in the space, especially with the mill pro producers, as well as just the way that um, steel is, is, is uh, transacted today because you know, supply chains have, have changed and there's been a ton of disruption in the market. And so how you navigate that and manage that um, is, is very different uh, today than it was just 18 months ago. But you know, our, our outlook is that you know, there needs to be a strong manufacturing base here in um, America and that the steel industry is critical to that. I mean, a lot of people don't think about the um, influence of steel to manufacturing and, and everything, but I mean, it's everything, right? It's your car, your washer, your dryer, it's all the parts of your house, it's the bridge, it's the road, it's all the buildings that surround us. I mean, even, you know, energy, um, you know, whether it's the oil and gas space or it's the, the solar and, and wind space. So um, it just, um, you know, it's a huge, huge part of our overall uh, economy. Like you said, obviously, um, steel is an essential American uh, industry. Tell us how Majestic is leading the way in innovation and then reinvestment. Yeah, the way that I think about innovation and reinvestment is really talent and technology. At the end of the day, people do business with people. And technology plays such a critical role in everything that we do today. I mean, look, we're able to do this podcast because of technology. And just think a few years ago how, you know, content uh, was distributed. And so you have to think that way in all industry and in all businesses. So at Majestic, you know, we've put a major focus on talent and technology. Uh, the people that we attract, we're not necessarily just attracting people that come from a manufacturing or steel background. We're attracting people from all um, industries and all geographies because we want that diverse perspective um, while still you know, having a strong foundation of steel and, and manufacturing, which is critical uh, to our business. And so I think from a talent perspective, we're all fighting this talent war across different industries. And so you have to be you know, the employer of choice. You have to uh, create an opportunity for your people to, to be creative and, and really develop within their career, especially uh, the next generation. And on the technology side, you know, we talk about tech companies and I've always said that every company has to be a tech company. Tech is not necessarily an industry. Um, so at Majestic, you know, we need to be a tech company. We need to use data um, and, and technology as a differentiation, as a currency today, being able to manage your business real time. I mean, we're uh, affected by everything in our business. Um, so we need to make sure that we can adjust uh, quickly and, and be able to, um, you know, forecast where we see things going real time. So that's, that's really, you know, how I see um, innovation is, is really how do you utilize talent um, and technology to foster a, a culture of, of innovation? Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I think the, the companies that are going to win in, in 2030 and beyond, uh, just like you said, are investing in diversity and, and diversity of thought. Right. I think it's super smart to bring people in that maybe um, don't have that traditional steel background. Um, and then I, yeah, I agree. Uh, every company does need to be a, a, at, at some aspect, right? A, a technology company. Um, 
Good transition into uh, what I, I feel like I read about every morning, uh, the supply chain. So obviously the supply chain issues are top of mind for everyone. Um, I wanted to ask you about one of your in-house innovations, um, Mike's, M-I-C-S, which is an inventory management system, which allows customers to scan all the inventory coming into their warehouse and then link it to their manufacturing line, uh, which allows for depleted inventory to be restocked. So tell us about how this came about. Um, yeah, go for there. How, how did this? How did this happen? Yeah, when I started at Majestic, I actually started in inventory management and, and supply chain. Um, I thought that that was the most critical part of the business. Where we sit in the industry, we sit right in the center. I mean, we have that fifty-yard line seat. Um, being in in distribution and and, and processing, um, we're right in the middle of the mills and and the manu manufacturers. So. Um, inventory management is so critical um, to the business and supply chain management. And, and if you think about what happened um, over the last year and a half, we've had so much disruption to the supply chain that you can't necessarily plan for or predict. And a lot of the manufacturing sector went more towards, you know, how do I uh, cut costs? How do I lean out um, just-in-time environment? And really um, just-in-time is only as good as you know having material to be able to manufacture your, your products. And we see that in terms of look at the auto sector and the disruption with um, you know, the chip shortage and how that part can have such a drastic impact. And the cost of that is so much greater than any price you pay for anything. I mean, because it impacts your overall revenue and impacts you know, your ability to, to produce. And so um, at Majestic, we see ourselves as a supply chain solutions business. And so um, when it comes to the technology side, we've focused on how do we provide our customers transparency and visibility into the supply chain. Um, and, and Mike's is an example of that. And we're you know, always um, continuing to, to build on that. And so the idea of Mike's is to be able to help our customers better manage their inventory by giving them a digital solution and be able to do that um, easily within their own uh, location so that they have better visibility of the steel that they have on hand and where that steel is um, in the process. And so um, Majestic, we carry significant inventory uh, to provide our customers the uh, assurance that they will have product. Um, and that they'll have that product timely. And so, you know, Mike's is really uh, about that. And so we're just, you know, starting to get some more traction on that. And I think that generally speaking, the industry is going to be more open towards these type of um, solutions, given what every company has gone through the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, for sure. Um, switching gears a little bit in recent years, Majestic Steel has turned to strategic acquisitions for growth. Uh, talk to us about the companies that you acquired and then why they made a good fit to join the Majestic Steel Corporation. Yeah, Majestic's niche has always been a leader in flat world, primarily coated steel products. And so um, those products go into diverse end markets and uh, geography across the, the map. And so we've always said, cover the markets, cover the map, but stay great at what we're great at. And so when we look at acquisitions, we look at acquisitions that we think um, fit into our business, whether they fit into our core or they're an extension of our core. And so you know, the acquisitions that we've done to date really are extensions of our core that have expanded our footprint. Majestic 
was able to service outside of a typical geographic reach because of our inventory availability and because of our ability to, to service customers. And now we're really growing into that footprint. So um, we did an acquisition at the end of 2020 in Vegas um, with a company that had a, a niche in terms of that geography and then another acquisition with locations in California and Washington state, which then expands our business out to the West. And so um, now we have a you know, pretty good uh, geographic reach and we're gonna continue to look at you know, footprint expansion um, as we look to grow and, and cover the map and cover the markets. Yeah, I mean, I, th this goes uh, across all industries and teams, but I think even in sports, um, there's parallels, right? Like if you're a coach, uh, and you're building your staff, you know, your strengths, right. And you, the best coaches try to double down on their own strengths and then hire assistants that, you know, basically fulfill their weaknesses. So I think that strategy can be uh, taken across sports, business industries and all that. And it's super, super smart. Um, okay. So to our discussion earlier, you're obviously very entrepreneurial. Um, one of your projects includes a major redevelopment project in the Gordon Square neighborhood. Um, Taylor of Rust Belt uh, is actually friends with Taylor Hawkins. And so we wanted to see, talk to us about your vision for that project and the impact you see it having on an already great near West Side neighborhood. Yeah, Justin Strizzi and Taylor Hawkins and I came together and they have uh, you know, experience in the, the real estate side of the business and, and we said how can we as Clevelanders um, identify a location to really kind of make our mark in terms of the development business here in, in Cleveland and so um, we were able to identify this location I mean that location that neighborhood already has you know great identity and, and character and what we want to do is we want to fit into that identity and, and neighborhood but also elevate it and so we saw the Gordon Square, Detroit Shoreway District as, as an opportunity to be able to do that um, and uh, kind of fill in um, where we're really located in between Gordon Square. And then, you know, you go down Detroit towards Ohio City and, and Ohio City obviously has had a resurgence here in Cleveland. And we think there's an opportunity to truly kind of connect these neighborhoods while making sure that there's a clear identity in terms of what each neighborhood stands for. And so this project is really about elevating this neighborhood, um, creating a lifestyle uh, multifamily uh, development with some mixed use elements to it, um, but really about you know, those that want to kind of live an urban life, um, but be able to have the convenience and lifestyle that our project is going to provide for that neighborhood. Um, the, the design details of it and um, the, just the way that we went and approached the project and, and um, how we were able to get this uh, across the goal line and now breaking ground um, is, is really about just kind of how we can be a part of a neighborhood and how we can elevate this neighborhood and any future neighborhood that we look to develop in, within Cleveland or, or any area. That's awesome, man. That's great. Um, okay, last question. We'll get you out of here, but we always like to highlight local area Cleveland restaurants. We know your restaurant, The Last Page, just opened in Pinecrest. So why don't you tell us about that business and then plug, uh, you know, one of your favorite spots prior to it opening? Yeah, The Last Page is a unique concept. Um, really, what we're doing is we're taking, you know, classics and, and influencing them with global flavors. 
Uh, it's really intended to be a place to get great food, great drinks, um, eat, meet, hang. Um, and it's, you know, uh, really versatile in terms of the way that uh, we, we approach the concept. I think that, you know, you'll see that in the menu is there's a lot of, you know, different uh, flavor profiles that influence the, the dishes and the cocktails um, while still staying nostalgic. I think that, you know, that's kind of what modern American um, cuisine and, and dining experiences um, need. And so uh, that's, that's the direction that we went with um, the last page and, and um, you know, feel like there's a, a ton of opportunity in Cleveland to also enhance neighborhoods. I mean, just like real estate development, hospitality, food and beverage does the same thing to a neighborhood. Uh, so that's, that's really what kind of one is focused on. How do we uh, do that from a, a hospitality, food and beverage side of things? I mean, Cleveland's got a lot of great restaurants. Cleveland's a neighborhood city. Um, there's a lot of great neighborhoods in, in Cleveland. And so we wanted to just bring something that was um, unique and, and differentiated in terms of what's here today. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, came back to Cleveland. And so um, as far as favorites in Cleveland, I mean, it kind of depends, you know, more of a, you know, what am I in the mood for um, type of guy, but, you know, I, I love sushi. So I'll, you know, go down to Ginkgo in, in Tremont or, um, you know, I think Albatross does a great job in terms of the experience that they've created and the character of, of that restaurant. But then, you know, Cleveland's got actually a lot of ethnic um, influence. And so there's a lot of just kind of go get great, you know, Chinese food, Thai food, pizza. Um, so there's a lot of great options here in Cleveland. But what we're really focused on is how do we kind of bring some unique dining experiences to Cleveland um, to elevate the, the hospitality, food and beverage experience that you can have here. That's awesome, man. That's great. Well, Todd, listen, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time this morning. Um, before we get out of here, if any of our listeners are looking to get in touch with you or follow your story, where can they do that? Website or email, social, all that stuff. Yeah, um, Majestic website, my email, you know, tvboatmajesticsteel.com. Although, you know, emails definitely get backed up these days. Um, you know, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm not as active on, on social platforms, but, um, you know, uh, reach out to me and, and love to, you know, collaborate or, or talk about what we're doing. And, and so I appreciate it, Paul. And it's been great uh, chatting with you this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Todd. Best of luck uh, with everything the remainder of the year and then into 2022. And uh, we hope to have you on again soon, man. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, thanks, you too. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.